Well, once again, good morning. My name is Derek. Um, again, I'm, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it is good to be with you, and it is good each Sunday to open God's Word together and ask God to teach us from His Word. So uh, we're going to do that here. So good morning. How's everybody doing? Doing pretty good out there? Some weeks better than others, perhaps, if you're anything like me. Uh, a good week for, for me and my family in many ways. Um, and that search team that just stepped down from the stage is one of the highlights of the week for me. It is a joy to work closely with other followers of Jesus, um, seeking God together and uh, trusting him to lead us in that process. So that's a lot of fun. Uh, it was a great week working with um, our other leaders, uh, staff team and elder team that I love to be around as we uh, look to the future and as we plan some exciting things that are coming in the next few months for our growing church family. So uh, many, a good week in many ways. Another highlight for our family was that uh, our daughter Kaylin, our oldest, uh, graduated from eighth grade. So uh, my wife Amy and I can't believe we have one headed off to high school in the fall. Uh, but that was fun to celebrate with, with her. So a great week in many ways. Uh, but in, in today's scripture passage, when I have you open there in a minute, in, the, in today's passage, the author of this passage of scripture uh, uses the word rubbish. And, 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 in, and, and as we get to know a little bit more about that word, it's, it's a little bit of a borderline language there. He's speaking pretty strongly. And so we're going to ask God to show us this morning, why, why does the author of this letter insert this almost expletive, rubbish? And we'll find out what, what, why he's so serious and, and what he wants us to know. Um, that word could, has some connotations of, of trash, waste, garbage, but perhaps also has the connotation or also could be described as manure, excrement, dung, rubbish. And if I'm honest, and I describe to you a part of my week, and I wrote you a letter to describe part of my week, I might insert the word rubbish. I got a full plate. And like many of you, Sometimes multiple factors from various areas of life converge to, to make things pretty heavy, to, to create a tough, distracting, uh, draining week. But such is life, isn't it? And I know as I look around, I know as I look around that I'm not alone in that, that many of you have experienced the ups and downs of life uh, just this week as well. So, uh, perhaps you, like I, uh, need this reminder from Scripture. It's so fun about being a teacher of the Bible that as I study to pass along what I learn, God really teaches me and encourages me. And so a, a, a perfect week for God to have me in a passage that starts with the word or starts early on with rejoice. Rejoice. So turn with me, if you would, to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be uh, starting at the beginning of Philippians chapter 3, verse, uh, right at verse 1. Hope you have your Bible with you. If you don't, be sure to bring it next week. If you don't have one, ask us. We want to give you one. Uh, here at Faith Church, we open our Bibles each Sunday, and I invite you to keep your finger in the text as we follow God's Word. 
to us. So we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, and uh, we are studying through this letter in our Bible. This letter in our Bible is called Philippians because one of the early church leaders named Paul wrote it to the Christians at a church in a town called Philippi. Thus, they are called the Philippians. And so this letter in our Bible is from Paul to the believers in Philippi. Chapter 3, verse 1 begins, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And that's where I said this is such a, a needed place for me this week. And this is really a theme in Philippians. We've, we've seen it already, and we're going to see it again. This, many would, some would say that that's the predominant theme of this letter, joy and rejoicing. Um, and when we think about joy, you know, I think we often, it's probably fair to distinguish this way, that our happiness, when we think of the word happiness, our happiness is dependent on our circumstances, right? We're happy when things are going well. We're happy when something good happened. Uh, happiness, or, or we're unhappy when things are not going so well. So our happiness tends to be dependent on our circumstances. Joy is from God. Yeah. Throughout the scriptures, we see this, including in Galatians 5, we see that joy is one of the, one of the characteristics that is produced in the life of someone following Jesus. The Spirit produces these characteristics and these experiences, including joy. So, rejoice in the Lord, Derek. Even, even in the midst of, of work distraction or details of life that weigh down or personal life things that are stressful, rejoice in the Lord. Sometimes we need to preach to ourselves. And we need to allow God's word to, to shape us. Um, this, it's a theme in Philippians because followers of Jesus can and should rejoice in all circumstances. Happiness is difficult in the difficult circumstances, but joy is possible because it's from God. Joy in all circumstances. Joy despite circumstances. And if we really dug into this word in, in verse 1, rejoice, there's so much just in the way it's written. The word rejoice there. Uh, has an ongoing sense, so that as followers of Jesus, we are to rejoice, not just on Sunday morning when we gather together, and it's easy because we have songs to help us rejoice, but always and throughout our week. The way this word is written, rejoice, there's a sense too that we are to take action to rejoice, that it, that it takes a little effort to have joy, that, that joy can be something that is intentional in our lives as followers of Jesus. And, and there's also a sense here in this, in this verse 1, when it says rejoice in the Lord, there's a command to be obeyed. And we've said this before, followers of Jesus do what? Followers of Jesus follow Jesus. And our Lord was full of joy, it tells us in John 15. And so as followers of Jesus, one of the ways, one of the many, many ways we follow Jesus is by having joy, by living like him, and obeying the command to rejoice. So let's continue there. Finally, verse 1 again. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. This is going to be a safeguard to you. Your, your joy and the things I'm teaching you, he says, is a safeguard for you. 
Verse 2, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. And we put no confidence in the flesh. True joy is found in Jesus Christ. And something we will will remind ourselves of multiple times this morning is that our salvation, that being rescued from sin and death, our salvation is a gift of God's grace alone. It's not about what we do. It's a gift of God's grace. It's a gift of what, what God has already done. Our salvation, our being rescued from sin and death, is by grace alone, through faith alone, meaning not by working not by trying, not by having our, to behave, not by having to earn, not to have to perform. Our salvation is by God's grace alone, a gift of his, not our work, through faith alone, not our work. And where do we put that faith? In Christ alone. We put our faith, our surrender, our trust in Christ alone and receive life. God rescues sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And then in verse 2, so in verse 2, Paul, the author of this letter, says, Look out! Three times. Some of your translations say, Beware! Three times. Why? Because there are people who will pollute your joy. Rejoice in the Lord always, he says. But look out for people who want to rob that joy. How are they going to do that? How, how might these Philippian believers be encountering people who are going to rob their joy? And what does that have to do with you and me in 2018? How might you and I encounter people who want to rob our joy? Let's take a little look. Look, let me, And first, let me give you some background. In the Old Testament, the big portion of your Bible in the front, Before Jesus arrived, it's an important part. I'm just making sure you knew where it was. In the Old Testament, before the arrival of Jesus, uh, male circumcision was a religious tradition, a religious custom that was a sign of, of God's people being set apart. It was a sign of God's special relationship with his people. He wanted them to... Uh, have this sign. It was an outward sign of entrance then into God's family, into God's community. Those that were obedient uh, 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 Israelites, God's people at the time, uh, submitted to this religious rite of male circumcision so as to signify their entrance into God's community. Perhaps similar to the way we use baptism today, It's not baptism that saves, right? But our baptism is a sign that we are followers of Jesus, and our baptism is a a marking of entrance into into the church family. So similarly, such was the custom of circumcision. And we we remind ourselves here frequently at Faith Church this, that the gospel that we proclaim, the good news that we proclaim is that God has made a way 
for sinful you and me to be made right with a holy and perfect God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so, in, in regard to what was true in the Old Testament with circumcision, the arrival of Jesus, our rescuer, fulfilled the meaning of circumcision. We could read, and I could send you, you could mark, write, write a note to yourself if you want, Colossians 2, and you could go there later, and you could read in Colossians 2 how Jesus has fulfilled the meaning of circumcision. Jesus is, is now the way into God's family. It says in uh, 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man. It is the Lord Christ Jesus. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is entrance into God's family. So who is Paul telling, uh, you know, the Philippians to look out for? When he says, look out, beware of these people that are going to pollute your joy, are going to take away your joy. Who is Paul talking about? Well, here in Philippians and elsewhere in the New Testament, we learn of a group called the Judaizers, these religious, uh, uh, these, these very conservative religious folks who uh, perhaps meaning well, but in this situation, what Paul's warning the Philippians against, what he's warning us against, is that the Judaizers want to add to that gospel that we just celebrated. And, and, and it would, we perhaps could call this the false circumcision. The Judaizers, see, see, gospel, see Gentiles, non-Jewish people, were finding Jesus. They were proclaiming the good news of Jesus, that, that life is found in Jesus, that salvation is found in Jesus. And non-Jewish people, like most of us, were, were, were calling upon Christ for salvation. And so they were becoming Christians, and then these Judaizers wanted to add. These Judaizers were, were Jewish folks who had become Christians, but like everyone that, that used to have to become a Jew by starting to do Jewish things, these Judaizers wanted to put more stuff on these new Christians. Are you with me so far? They had called upon Christ. They had received salvation in Jesus, in Christ alone. The Holy Spirit indwelt them as proof that they were saved. And yet the Judaizers were thinking, hey, you need to become Jewish. You need to get circumcised. You need to follow all the Old Testament laws. We just reminded ourselves that salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone, not Christ and something else. But there are, there are many, the Judaizers back then, and some today, that purposely or accidentally would have you believe, would have you fall into the mistaken belief that your salvation is dependent on Christ and something else. And we have to guard against that. That's why Paul feels so strongly in this message. The Judaizers were saying that Jesus plus being Jewish would mean they were saved, or Jesus plus getting circumcised would mean they were saved, or Jesus plus following all the Old Testament laws would mean they were saved. Rubbish! 
that is not the good news. What's on the screen is rubbish, garbage, dung. Because verse 3 reminds us, Paul says, we are the circumcision. And you might hear here, we are the true circumcision. That was the false circumcision. We are the true circumcision. Who? Who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Jesus Christ. And who put no confidence in the flesh, in our human efforts and failings and achievements. Speaking of confidence in the flesh, it's end of verse 3 says that the, the true circumcision, followers of Jesus, put no confidence in the flesh. Well, speaking of confidence in the flesh, put, putting confidence in, in achievements and what I've done and my human merits and all the, my impressive credentials, that's what's coming next in our passage here. Paul, the author of this letter, uses himself as an example of, of human privilege and achievement and why he should match up to God. What he has to offer God. God should rescue him because of these incredible accomplishments. Verse 4. Paul says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. This is an incredible statement. He's saying, top this. Let me tell you about myself and why I earn God's love and salvation. Top this. If you all think you have something to boast to God about, I got more, Paul says. And he just goes on to describe himself when he was known more as Saul of Tarsus. And he lists here in verses 5 and following his fleshly credentials. And he starts with, actually, his inherited credentials. Stuff that he's not even responsible for. His inherited credentials. Verse 5. He says about himself, I was circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, I didn't come to Jesus later. I was an insider from birth. So that was... 2,000 years ago. What about you today in 2018? Many of you have been in a church family from birth. Perhaps you were even sprinkled as a baby. Perhaps you were dedicated to the Lord at a very young age by your parents. Insider from birth doesn't save you from sin and death. Amen? Paul continues, circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel. In other words, I'm a pure-blooded Israelite, a pure-blooded Jew. I'm a total insider. Again, what about you? Do, do we inadvertently, and this still happens around the world, do we inadvertently uh, think our ancestry or the country that we're born into means that we have some kind of relationship with God? No, that's not what saves. Our, our heritage are, are, even, even having Christian parents doesn't save. He's, 
Paul says he's of the tribe of Benjamin. And see, if we look back in the Old Testament, when we read about these different tribes, we find out that the Benjamin was an elite tribe, one of only one or two tribes that were faithful through it all. And so again, he's, he's got this kind of insider pride. Not only was I an insider from the time I was born, not only was I an insider because I'm a pure-blooded Jew, not only that, I'm from ben, the tribe of Benjamin, the good people. And we do the same thing. Our spiritual lineage. I have Christian parents. I'm from the good folks. God must love me. Doesn't save. And Paul says he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. He has Hebrew parents who raised him in the Hebrew tradition. He learned the Hebrew language. He went to Hebrew school. You? Me? Perhaps a Christian home? Perhaps a Christian school? Perhaps, as, as I have, perhaps many of you have learned to speak Christianese. We have the language. We have the, the upbringing. It doesn't save. Apart from Christ, we are nothing. Now, he, he, Paul continues his list, but now he goes from his inherited traits to these human achievements, and he says... As to the law, I'm a Pharisee. The Pharisees were an elite group of religious leaders, and they were, they, were, they were famous for their incredible keeping of the law. Keeping the Old Testament laws down to the minute detail. You know how we're instructed in the Old Testament to tithe of, of our income, to give some of it back to God? They would tithe percentages of their spices, to show how, you know, not just their, their flock and not just their big crops, where they, but they'd, they'd get out there, they'd go to their garden and see how much basil they had, and they'd tithe from the basil. So Paul is saying, I'm, I'm this elite rule keeper. Verse 6, and as to zeal, you want to talk about passion, he says, I was a persecutor of the church. I was so passionate that I was right and that I was on the right track that I terrorized Christians. Sometimes we get extreme enthusiasm too and sometimes our extreme enthusiasm is misdirected as well. We need to make sure that our enthusiasm is directed toward the heart of God, toward things that are in line with the heart of God. And Paul writes that as to righteousness under the law, hopefully you're still following along there in Philippians 3. At the end of his list here, Paul says, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He says he's blameless in that rule keeping. In the, in the following rules, he lives according to the rules Um, A commentator I studied this week said that he's a spiritual athlete, that Paul is a spiritual athlete in a category by himself. Confidence, discipline, focus, iron will. And you and me, sometimes we think, I'm a good person. I take the Bible seriously. 
rubbish. That alone won't save. But how about that list of qualifications that he just rattled off? Impressive, right? Wow. No wonder Paul says, hey, if anybody's got reason to boast, I got more. Because he just rattled off a really impressive list of credentials. And again, one of the commentators I studied this week says this, all that boasting about Paul's fleshly accomplishments were just a masterful setup. Because what comes next is his remarkable rejection of those achievements. There was this incredibly impressive list of his earning and his status and what he can offer to God and what perhaps God would respond to and save him for. And and really, he's just setting us up because he's about to reject that list. Verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything, all that stuff he just listed, as a loss because of the surpassing worth, the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. What does it say after Christ Jesus? My Lord. This is one of the, I believe this is the only or, or one of the very few times that Paul refers to Christ as my Lord. Very personal. Whatever I had, I counted loss. I counted all as a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all those things that I just listed off. And I count them as, what friends? Rubbish! It's trash. It's garbage. It's waste. It's manure. It's dung compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing the Lord and rescuer, Jesus Christ. Now, some of you that know accounting, and I don't, may have heard the expression of a T-square. Never really knew about a T-square. But if, you, but if you think in accounting terms, why is Paul using gain and loss language? You know, you could think of it in terms of, of accounting. You could think of it as, as, as we've got a list over here of credits and gains and a list over here of losses, debts. And, and first... First, Paul had this incredible list over here on gains. Look at all this stuff that I've done. Look at all my qualifications. And then he moved them all over to here. And he put one thing on the gain list. And who was it? It was Christ Jesus. He moved all of that that we could count as gain and, 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 and good, and he moved it to loss. Not that those are bad things. Not that we don't still have those relationships and jobs and and, and things like that. But compared to the greatness of knowing Jesus. So when he did that, when he moved everything that he had previously counted as gain, when when he moved that to the other side of the ledger, so to speak, all Paul once trusted in, all he once thought that he had to show God. His education, his learning, his reputation, his ministry, his position, his prestige, he now counts it as deficit. Rubbish. Trash, manure. 
He recognized that, that while this, looked, this list looked really impressive and, and while it was really pretty impressive from worldly standards, he realized that in the reality, in the big picture, in God's economy, it added up to zero. Rubbish, waste, excrement. So what changed? What changed from this impressive list to the one where the only thing in the impressive list is his relationship with Jesus? What changed? I'll tell you what changed. Saul of Tarsus met Jesus, and he was transformed, and his life was never the same. And I met Jesus, and my life has never been the same. And many of you have met Jesus, and your life has never been the same. And you know what, though, it kills me? Some of you haven't yet met Jesus. You're still speaking Christianese. You're still adding to this list over here, and I hope that you'll go put it over there and come to Jesus. That's my desire for you. That's this church family's existence so that you will find and follow Jesus. Because this list doesn't add up, friends. It doesn't get the job done. What changed was that Saul met Jesus. And again, I can't, I can't even take a ton of time on this right now, but again, if you want to not, 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 not down, write down, jot down, that's it. If you want to jot down Acts chapter 9, and again, that's a great place to take a look at later because that's where we read the story of Saul meeting Jesus. Saul, the persecutor, the terrorist, he was traveling on the Damascus Road, and he was intercepted by the risen Jesus, the one that had been nailed to a cross and was alive again, came to him on the road to Damascus and intercepted him, and, and the light flashed and blinded Saul, and, he, and the glory of the Lord surrounded him, and Saul came to Jesus. Saul realized that Jesus' true identity was Son of God, rescuer, and Saul put his faith and his trust in Jesus instead of his own list of accomplishments. So that's why he can write in verse 8 the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord and Master. My Lord, my Master. He changed from trusting his own self-righteousness, his own earning, his own list of accomplishments. He changed from following, from trusting in that to trusting that Jesus had done the work for him that Jesus' faithful obedience to God's rescue plan. We've studied this in Philippians, in chapter 2. We got this glorious passage that reminded us of Jesus' obedience to God's rescue plan. The rescue plan is, on the screen, that sinners are made right with God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus, trusting God's plan, obeying God's plan, went to death so that you and I might live. Verse 8 says, for, I, for Jesus' sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as, what friends? Rubbish. Rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ, verse 9, and be found in him. 
not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, from rule-keeping, but having a righteousness of being made right with God, a relationship with God that comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith because we've reminded ourselves multiple times this morning, here it is again, that salvation is a gift of God's grace alone, not your effort, through faith alone, not your deeds, not your list of impressive accomplishments, and our faith, our trust, our surrender goes to Christ alone to find life now and life forever. And so, to take that glorious good news that has nothing to do with us and everything to do with what Jesus has already done, to take that glorious good news and add more requirements to add stipulations to people around us, things they've got to do or be or say or agree with in order to be Christian, to take that glorious goodness and add those other things, what is it? Rubbish! That's what Paul's getting after here. Because we could, we could add to Christ, we could fill in this blank like Paul did with things like his education and his learning and his reputation and his ministry and his position as an apostle and his prestige. Or we could know that it's faith in Christ alone. That we want people to know. That we want our lost friends and family, our friends and family that are far from Jesus around us to know. We don't want to give them this message intentionally or accidentally. We want to give them the message of Jesus. We could fill in that blank like the Judaizers did with external requirements. It could be Christ plus uh, being Jewish or Christ plus uh, circumcision or Christ plus these other external requirements. What does that look like today to fill in that blank? How do we or, or some around us sometimes fill in this blank, that blank today? This is when we this is when we interact with people around us and, and we, we glory in our wealth. It's Christ plus my wealth. It's Christ plus my, look at my perfect family. It's Christ plus my business success. That's what makes God love me. Or today we do things, we still do things like this in, in Christian, so, so, supposed Christian circles. We add to the gospel, we add to the salvation message things beyond just Jesus. We, 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 some teach that, that works, that our good works have to be added to our faith in order to be saved. Some teach that baptism, being dunked in the water, is necessary for you to be saved. That's adding to the gospel. Some, we love baptism. We celebrate baptisms around here but we don't add it to that equation for your salvation. We, if we're not careful, we will, we will put in that blank. We will be trying to share God's love with people. We will be trying to proclaim the good news of Jesus with other people, and, and we want them to follow Jesus, and, but, but accidentally or intentionally, we're going to insert something in there if we're not careful where they have to be like me or look like me or sound like me or agree with me on something or they're not really a follower of Jesus. It's rubbish. 
So we got to be careful. We got to ask God to help us not do that, not fill in that equation. We want people to know and follow Jesus. So let's not intentionally or unintentionally make them think that it's Jesus plus something. Let's finish the passage. Verse 7. I'll read, I'm going to go back a couple verses and read through to the end of the passage for today. Verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I might know him. Friends, that's the goal of following Jesus, is to know him and the power of his resurrection so that we might share in his sufferings. We've talked about this. That's a hard part, but it's true. Becoming like Jesus in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Yes, life as broken people in a broken world includes suffering and trial and difficulty. My week included ups and downs, and your week possibly frequently includes ups and downs, difficulties and trials and suffering. But those who suffer in devoting their lives to Jesus will, like Jesus, be given new life, resurrection, now and forever. Let me invite you to stand. I'd like to pray for us. I invite you to stand, and the ushers can come now as well to receive our morning offering. As they, as they come, join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are great and awesome above all, and we look to you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus' faithful obedience to fulfill your rescue plan. And so we thank you for the cross. We thank you that, that Jesus submitted himself, obeyed your rescue plan, and that his life, death, and resurrection bring us new life in you. God, we thank you that your son, that Jesus, our rescuer, that he lived the life, the sinless, perfect life that we cannot live. We thank you that he died the death that we deserve on our behalf. We thank you that he rose victoriously from the grave in his new life. His resurrection shows us that that is in store for us. And Father, we desire, as we think about this passage this morning, God, we desire to be conduits of your love to those around us. God, we pray that individually and collectively as a church family that we would make a difference showing your love to Dallas and Oregon and our great country and across the globe. And would one of the ways that you do that, God, would one of the ways that you work through us be the joy that you put in our hearts? Would you help us to rejoice in the Lord despite our circumstances, no matter our circumstances, in the ups and in the downs, God, would you give us a joy from you that would be a light to those in darkness? 
And God, as we desire to individually and collectively as a church family proclaim the good news of Jesus, would you help us to never add requirements or burdens onto people that they can't live up to, that they can't match up to. Help us only to lead them to putting their faith in Christ. So God, we thank you for Jesus' submission, his obedience to become a man, to be a servant, to humble himself even to death on the cross. And as we've studied in this letter to the Philippians, as a result of his humility, as a result of his obedience, God, we know that you exalted him, that you gave Jesus the name that is above every name. And so as we continue this morning, we confess that Jesus is Lord and God. And as we continue now, we worship Jesus. We, we lift our voices. We give our generous gifts. We, we say our prayers in worship of his great name. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.